Welcome to another episode of the Get Fast podcast brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined, as always, by your hosts, Australian Ironman champion and four times Nationals Masters cycling champion, Jared Donnelly, and I'm Jordan Donnelly. Before we start, if you want to get our expert secrets cheat sheet, that is the cheat sheet of the very best tips and advice our experts who have come on the podcast give to help you train smarter and race faster, go to getfastpodcast.com. In this episode, we're focusing on things you must know if you want to perform better in the swim and the run leg of a triathlon. That's in a triathlon, a 70.3 or an Ironman. There are mistakes that people are still making in the swim leg that you must be correcting and things you must be doing instead if you want to perform well in the swim leg. And then we're going to move on to the run leg and we're going to talk about some mistakes that we talk about often and we talk about a lot that people are still making, but more importantly, things you need to be doing instead to get your run preparation right. And if you want to be a good runner in the triathlon, if you want to perform well in the race, if you want to be one of those runners that actually runs well and isn't walking at the end, there's some key things you need to know and that you, you need to be doing differently to get that right. To start us off, mistake number one is involved in the swimming preparation. This is There's a few factors you see where swim, uh, triathletes make in their swim preparation and pretty much how not to prepare for the swim leg. Yeah, well, the first one uh, really is about your training and whether you should be training all squad, whether you should be training some squad, and I suppose that is a really big uh, debatable question that I get lots of uh, triathletes asking me about. Um, and look, my philosophy is a combination of, of both is going to so much be so much more advantageous to your swimming. If you just did all squad stuff, you're in that whirlpool of uh, sitting in, in behind a group of eight swimmers and the water resistance you get, let's get specific here, the water resistance you get when you're swimming in a draft situation, which is what you want in a race, you want to get that um, bubbly water in front of you because that's easier water to swim in than solid water without bubbles. That's harder to swim in. It's like headwind tail uh, mm -hmm. in a bike section of a ride. So um, really important that uh, swimmers don't just do squad swimming, that they do squad swimming to get some real intensity because it pushes you. The competition's great. But you need to also do some swimming where you're breaking the water yourself so that you can get some fitness base around that. And really the other point is outside training. Um, should you be swimming in a lake or a river or, a, or an ocean? And the answer is absolutely you should be. Um, we don't do any triathlons in a pool. We ha I have actually done a couple of triathlons <laughs> in a pool. But yeah. uh, they're very rare. Yeah. Um, and we're talking, you know, potentially Olympic Iron Man and half Iron Man, and of course we're doing sprint, but but really you need to have practiced in the ocean uh, because that's where the race is going to be. Good. So the first part of the preparation is stop squad training so much and make sure you're practicing out in the ocean. Yep. So um, you know, don't underestimate how valuable it is to uh, be in in the ocean. Um, not only because it's that's where the race is, but uh, it, you've got to learn some other skills. Uh, that you can't learn in the in the in the pool, and one is you know where am I going? In the pool, you're just following someone's feet, and there's a black line uh, that you're you know 
putting your body in a certain position against the black line so you don't have a head-on with the person coming the other direction in the pool. So you don't have that in the ocean. You're looking at, you know, possibly 20 metres of depth of water below you where you can't um, orientate uh, whether you're swimming left, right or centre. So you need to practice, you know, swimming every six or seven strokes with, you know, as you inhale, when you take a breath, take a, a quick look at a particular marker that you can identify. Um, and that's a real a real art because as soon as you lift your head up high, your feet fall. And the idea in swimming is to keep your head and your feet at the same level. That, may, that way you're more streamlined, so there's less water resistance, therefore you'll swim faster. So the minute you drop your feet um, when you're navigating, uh, you're actually going to slow down. So that navigation, uh, that is a... You talk about that concept a lot, where it's it's you're not just swimming in the open water just to get a feel for the water. You're talking about the you're talking about everything that encompasses swimming in the ocean, which you will have to experience in the race. Yeah, um, you know, from from uh, navigation and determining whether uh, the person you're swimming is uh, is swimming straight. So you're putting your faith in the guy you're you're sitting on, whose feet you're sitting on, to think that he's going to swim in a straight line. So that's a bit of a risk. Um, should you do that? Should you not do that? Well, I would start with someone who's swimming at my pace so that I'm getting a, f- a freer ride um, with less resistance, so I'm saving energy. But if I look up and I see that the boy that I'm aiming for is now on our right and it was on our left four strokes ago, I'm starting to get concerned about how straight this guy's swimming. Mm-hmm. So I might try and look for another person's feet if I think that we're zigzagging a bit, mm-hmm. you know. It's really interesting when I uh, download the results and I see that the race might be 3.8K and, you know, Joe's swam 4.1, mm. you know. Sure, the course might be a little bit long, but more than likely it's because he's swum, you know, zigzag across mm. the course and he's actually swam an extra an extra um, few hundred metres. Mm. Um, and if I compare that with other swimmers who are in the same race and they might have done 4K or 3.9 or 3.8.5, they're the guys swimming direct. Um, and that could add five minutes onto your time by zigzagging. You also talk about how the start and finish can really add to your time if you don't get that right, if you don't practice that. Yeah, so in training, I would definitely be, be doing uh, ocean swims or river swims or lake swims where I start on the beach or on the shore, depending on where you are, and I would uh, get into the water and start swimming and try to pick a marker and swim toward, straight towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be practising the start, practising navigation um, and practising not swimming too hard because that's one of the other key pointers that, yeah. that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. But, but certainly, uh, you know, those skills, you can't get that um, in the pool. Um, you can't run into the water um, because that's, that's something that people don't really think about because it's – it's really lifting your heart rate. The minute you start running mm. compared to swimming, compared to riding, the heart rate responds differently. Running will spike your heart rate uh, a lot quicker than swimming and, and riding will. So, you know, sprinting into the water is not really an efficient way to start the swim leg, um, especially in an endurance race like a 3.8K swim. Mm. That might be okay in a 500-metre sprint mm. race, but you still don't want to be sprinting where you're – we're trying to keep our heart rate from spiking too high because the minute our heart rate goes into lactate then you're going to swim with like 
your arms are going to be like bricks. So you want to avoid that. So swimming too hard at the start is one of the things we're trying to avoid. <coughs> so on that last point in preparation, and you, you talk about how much benefit there is in practicing in the ocean, you've just listed then that it's not just um, getting used to the actual swimming in the ocean, it's the navigation, making sure you're going on a straight line, it's making sure that you're practicing <coughs> the start and finish so you're learning not to waste energy. Um, what else is happening uh, at the, in that race that you need to practice? I mean, you touched on it before with following someone's feet. I mean, how important is getting that right? Yeah, so the, the drafting point, um, we did basically have, um, a, you know, some some information about that. But um, the, the, the way the race sometimes pans out, it can be a wave start or it can be a rolling start. Um, in the old days, it was just a mass start. So triathlon swim leg has really changed since the 80s and where you had, you know, up to 1,500 people starting at once. Um, and then you, uh, the next phase was to put people in age groups, so waves. Um, and now it's a rolling start in age groups. So you're only really entering the water with four or five other people. Um, so that panic anxiety problem that you had from the mass start has been reduced a lot. Um, so you still need to self-seed and where would you self-seed yourself in your age group? Well, I would, I would always uh, try to work out what your best PB time for the, the particular race we're doing, whether it's an Olympic half Ironman or, or Ironman. And if you're a one-hour one Ironman swimmer, I would try and self-seed yourself between 55 minutes and an hour. If you're a 30-minute uh, half Ironman swimmer, same again, 28 to 32, somewhere around there. You don't want to be swimming around people who are slower than you. That, that is really not helping the point that we're trying to make here, which is drafting. So self-seeding is important. Um, it is far better to have people coming past you, um, but not lots of people. So you don't want to be putting yourself 10 minutes ahead, mm-hmm. so you're getting the whole field swimming over the top of you. Uh, that's going to be really annoying and throw your rhythm out. So my suggestion is to try and get with people who are slightly faster than you are so that then you can select the people's feet that you're going to try and follow. I mean, as we said before, having f- bubbly water in front of you is so much easier and, and more efficient uh, way of swimming, which is going to reduce the effort you're going to put into the race later on for your ride and run. How should you practice that in training? Should you be doing more trainings? Because we said before you don't want to be doing too much squad training, but... You also want to be practicing being able to draft from someone. So where do you find that balance? Yeah, well, the squad training session is the one where, you know, it is really annoying if the person behind you touches your feet. Um, and you've got to get practiced at being close enough without having to touch people's feet. And I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, that one squad session, that's where you should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can try and meet some buddies for, a, for an ocean swim and swap roles, you know, when you're... Uh, swimming, say there's five of you swimming or two of you, spend some time behind that person, spend some time in front. So both of you are getting uh, a practice at drafting. Good. So is there anything else people need to do in their preparation to make sure that come race day they they get it right? Well, equipment. So I've seen so many people get their brand new wetsuit and goggles and start the race without having ever used them. And that is a recipe for disaster. The wetsuit, it needs to fit really well because it's like a second skin. But if it's too tight, it, it can overheat you. It can restrict your movement, your arm movement. You don't want to find that out during the race. You want to have had plenty of um, chances to experiment with, does this suit fit me properly? I had an experience years and years ago 
We were in, uh, I think it was in the Gold Coast. And I got a brand new wetsuit. Um, I was really happy with it. It fit, fitted, me, fitted me really well, but it, it got too hot. And halfway through the swim, I was nearly suffocating mm. with overheating. I had to swim to the side. It was in a, in a dam and basically take the wetsuit off, stop, take the wetsuit off. I was absolutely overheating. Mm. And that was a real big mistake for not, not using it prior. Yep. Um, the goggles, you really need to have practiced with the goggles to see whether they fog up, to see whether you can cl- see clearly. Is the sun going to be shining in your eyes? So you want to have ones with uh, tint. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to have practiced with the goggles um, and the wetsuit. They're two pieces of equipment that you should not go into a race with without having done at least, you know, 10 or more swims with those uh, particular pieces of equipment because they're the, the things that can derail the race for you. Yeah, in the ocean or in the lake or in a river or yep. whatever your I, race is going to be. I have actually done a wetsuit 1,500-metre time trial in a pool yeah. and uh, just to feel the, the difference. Mm-hmm. And, boy, did it make a difference in the pool. I swam so much faster. Mm. The buoyancy factor of a wetsuit is incredible. Mm. And as we know, Kona um, was always a non-wetsuit um, event. Um, so, you know... You know, you need to practice without a wetsuit as well, obviously. Mm. It's not still a non-wetsuit event. No, it, it's a non-wetsuit event still. Is it? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so, mistake number two for triathletes. And this is a question that a lot of people <coughs> would have conflicting answers for, but because you want to either conserve energy and not spend too much energy, but you also want to be warmed up. So, should you warm up for the swim leg? Well, what is the point of warming up? And we've got countless examples in running, riding and not many examples in swimming of the effect of a warm-up and for those who do a warm-up for, for a run race and those who do a warm-up for a bike race it is clear clear as day that the better warmed up you are for the actual event um, the better you'll perform in that event so why wouldn't we do that um, before the start of a triathlon and and of, of course the first leg is a swim so we need to warm up for the swim but you can actually warm up on the bike prior to your uh, uh, triathlon event, well before the swim start. And I encourage people who have the ability to take a, an ergo or a wind trainer or any type of trainer where they can use their other bike to sit on and gently warm up in the car park whilst their, their time trial bike is sitting on the rack. And I'm talking half an hour before race, race start where you're just rolling your legs over. You allow enough time to get your wetsuit on, get your goggles and your swim cap. And then you have 15 minutes possibly um, before race, race swim start for you where you can be in the water doing three or four minutes of, of uh, getting used to the temperature of the water so your body adapts straight away. If you're in a hot uh, climate and the water is warm, that's, that's not a consideration. But if you're in a really cold race, you know, some of those races in Wales or in Tassie, um, where it's, the water's quite cold and you really want to get used to it. You don't want to have that first initial um, into the water going, oh my God, this is freezing. You've already done that in your warm-up. Plus it, it gets your body ready for the, for the effort to come. So in my opinion, if you don't warm up, you are making a huge mistake and you spend the first five minutes of, of your hour swimming warming up in, in the race. Come, come the start of the race, you want to be at race pace from the beginning. Um, it also allows your, your heart rate to rise a little bit so you don't get that shock and anxiety. Mm. Um, and, and that's important uh, when you start the actual race to keep the heart rate down, which we'll talk about. But, um, yeah. but the warm-up, don't underestimate. It, it should be part of your routine. 
Absolutely. So take us to that point on not going out too hard because that is mistake number three and it's probably the biggest one that you say is just um, you can't believe people do it and that is swimming too hard at the start. Yeah, so it, it the, the, the problem with swimming too hard at the start, uh, if it's a short event, you can the, – the mistake you make isn't as great as it is over an Ironman. And I'm talking, you know, 3.8K compared to a 500-metre – if you start too hard in a 500 meter swim, you probably get a- away with only losing, you know, a few seconds when you're swimming, as I call it, swimming dead. Um, you know, what is that? The heart rate spikes so high that you've built the lactate in, and uh, the body wants you to slow down. As soon as your heart rate goes above threshold, the immediate responses from the body is to create so much lactate in the body it prevents you from swimming freely. We don't want that to happen. We want to be swimming with our threshold heart rate below that so we can swim with all the blood um, flowing and functioning as it should. There's nothing worse than swimming with really heavy arms because you've swam too fast at the start and you progressively get slower. It's no different and the analogy is if, if say, we're using a running example. If, if you're running a marathon and you start the marathon at the same pace as the professionals do and they're going to run... Some of them are going to run 3 to 3.10 pace if they're, you know, a 2-hour 10 runner. And your pace is 4 hours 50. But you start your first kilometre at the same pace as the professional runner does. You're going to spike your heart rate so much that your first K is going to actually be the detriment of the whole of your event because you're going to be running in the red zone for the rest of the run unless you slow right down. So that's really a really clear example of how detrimental running too fast at the start um, and spiking your heart rate affects your event. Swimming's no different. So why do people do it then? Because uh, it can be seen as a confidence thing to get in the right position, both in a swim or a run, but we all do it where we, we go harder in the start because we just want to get a good start and get off. So Yep, it's a good question. And and the example I would, I would give is, say you're a, you're a, a one-hour swimmer for 3.8 and I'm a 110. And you're my competition. You're in my age group. So obviously, I don't want to let you get too far ahead. But to swim 10 minutes faster than I'm able to swim, logic tells you that that's not going to happen. What is going to happen? Your heart rate's going to spike and you could possibly swim a 115. I could possibly swim a 115 instead of a 110. If I, keep up. if I tried to keep up. Because once you go over threshold, you will swim slower because your heart rate has to drop. So you're going to basically sabotage your whole event by trying to swim with your competition. You know, you might be a weak swimmer, but your strength might be on the bike. So save it for that. And don't swim at a pace at the start that you can't sustain for the whole swim leg. Obviously, you want to do a PB in the swim, but wait for the last 5-10 minutes to increase your pace. Otherwise, you need to swim consistently with a pace that you can handle for the whole race. Well, I think that's a good finish. There is three key swim leg mistakes that you see a lot of triathletes make. Obviously, and we always speak about this, there's a lot more. Uh, we could speak about a lot of things people need to do right. Um, you can check out our other videos if you want to see more information, but you would say those are the three biggest that have a big impact on people's preparation, which results in their race performance. Yeah, definitely. And if you can think about uh, changing the way you've approached the race with those considerations, I'm sure you'll have a better result. So now talk to me about the run leg and preparation mistakes we need to be looking out for in the run leg. And the first one is one that 
we definitely have spoken about a lot, but it is worth re-mentioning and it's worth talking about because it is so important to get this first factor right. Yeah, look, uh, let's get right into it right off the bat. Uh, the biggest thing I see most triathletes doing wrong in their preparation is not doing any run, run, runs off their bike. Um, it just baffles me. Uh, the event is swim, bike, run. It's not a running race. Uh, the difference for anybody out there who has ever gone for a run fresh compared to going for a run after riding their bike is chalk and cheese. The feeling in your legs, the even uh, the nutrition of uh, levels in your body after you've uh, had a ride and then go running are completely different. The glycogen stores, the carbs, uh, what, what uh, phase you're in, uh, burning, uh, trying to get energy to run compared to running fresh. Mm. So you need to practice. The key thing in in uh, triathlon is to practice what is going to happen on race day. And that's just not in triathlon. That's in every sport. <laughs> practice what's going to happen uh, on, the, on the day of the event in training. And that's what training is about. That's what the word training is, preparing for the event. Um, and do that in training and you will be amazed how much of a different result you'll get. The outcome will be exactly what you want and you'll, you'll know the outcome because you've actually pr- practiced it. So part of the reason people just do running training and not running off the bike is they want to run fresh so they can run better and become a faster runner. Yep, and I agree with that. Uh, to become a faster runner, you need to be actually able to train at a faster rate. And so that is definitely accurate so why wouldn't you go and train with a running group and it's no different to a swim squad um, no different to riding with the best riders you want to run with the best runners but not every day and what is the main reason we want to not do that is because running has got such a risk of injury compared to swimming and riding Um, running fast when you're fatigued and tired is really going to stress the body Um, so we, we only want to do that sparingly. And for, for me, I only want to do that once a week, twice if I'm pushed. But the point is, to, in order to run fast in a race, you actually have to train uh, with reasonable intensity at some stage during your training program. No different to the bike, no different to the swim. But we don't want to do it at as many percentages as we do in swim and riding. So talking about that running off the bike still, how does that differ between pros and age groupers or do you think the principle is still the same? Oh, no, it's got to be the same. Yeah, Whether you're uh, at the top of your game, whether you're an age grouper or you're a first-timer, the feeling of I've got this when I get off the bike and you run because it feels normal as to running purely running solo with no rides before uh, come race day what is wrong with my legs? Why aren't they functioning? I've never felt them like this before. You don't want to have that feeling. So training with bike to run is the biggest mistake people make. And some people say, yeah, I do a brick session. Oh, a brick session? You should be doing, as we've talked about, our sessions are four to five running sessions a week. Four of them, three to four of them, four possibly, should be off the bike. So that's really what we push. And one of those days is where you can run with a group, not off the bike, where you're a little bit fresh and you can be pushed for some intensity. And that varies according to what stage of preparation you're at. And if we're using January as our 
base phase and December is our race for an I, for an Ironman race, then you know certainly you can be running um, with less intensity in January as compared to when you get to November, December, or October, November, December. So we're trying to, you know, which is point two and three, but running off the bike early early on in the program doesn't change between January and uh, November. In fact, the longer you do that for, the better off you'll become December race day. So we still want to do one, one, one run where we're not running off the bike so that we actually get the opportunity to run however the structure of the program is depending on what phase you're at, uh, what month of the year you're at. So talk to me about mistake number two then and a lack of training specificity. And this is actually quite similar to what we say with mistake on the bike as well. Yeah, so um, it is a little bit different to the bike, but it still needs to be specific. Um, if you're training for a sprint distance compared to an Ironman, there's definitely more speed involved in a sprint distance running. And if we looked at the bike, obviously you're riding faster on the bike, um, but it, it doesn't uh, create uh, a real uh, tolerance of pain as it does on the, on the run. If you're trying to run fast, because the bike's holding you up, um, you know, you're just really uh, using leg muscles. When you're running, you know, the whole skeletal system is being uh, pressured to, uh, to function at a, at a really uh, high extreme uh, standard. So y- you need to have actually practiced that at some stage. Um, so we do things like uh, we might do uh, every block uh, some sort of testing where you are running uh, to a, a 5, 10, 15, 20k time trial. So you do get uh, that exposure to that uh, intensity mm-hmm. plus the run where you're running not off the bike. So so in terms of intensity, yes, there there is a, a, a definite importance of running with intensity. But it's not the majority of the sessions compared to swimming and riding. You need to really pull back on the other sessions. And we talked about four or five running sessions. Well, there would only be one that I said in the initial statement that should have some intensity, and that varies according to the year. So we're not disregarding intensity, but the injury factor uh, by running too hard uh, too often is going to be greater and you won't get to the start line if you're injured it will derail your whole program so don't take that risk uh, the the fitter you are as a runner the more your body can cope with the high intensity so if you start to do intensity without having a good base fitness you are exposing yourself to risking injury straight away off the bat and you know in your own training George. I'm forever telling you when you start a new program, how fit are you? Go out and do some endurance, some strength, some hills. Uh, not at fast pace, just build that solid skeletal system where you can stand up and run downhill, uphill, and not come off the run sore. You don't have to run with uh, high intensity to get a good workout to build mm-hmm. your fitness base. So it's so Im- important that we have a variety of uh, sessions in our run that uh, relate to what the requirements of the race are. So we need to run some running uh, intensity that reflects the intensity of the race. And that's different between marathon in an Ironman and a 5K sprint in a sprint event or a 10K in an Olympic. The intensities are vastly different. Mm. So, you know, to become a better runner, sure, just like becoming a better rider, you need to improve your FTP. To become a better runner, you actually need to improve your 10K time or your 5K time so that to, to run a better marathon, you need to be a faster runner. 
So get your base fitness, get your intensity, get your ride runs going together. They're the components that are going to uh, going to make you become a better runner at the back end of, of an Ironman or a triathlon because it is not a running race. Mm. It is It does become a running race in the race, but it is a bike running race. And the, the less time you spend doing that, the worse you're going to be in that running race in a triathlon. So you're saying most of the sessions should be lower intensity and just practicing running and only one session should be high intensity. Yep, at, at this particular stage of, uh, of whether you're um, a pro triathlete or whether you're an age group or you're just a, a newbie first-timer, um, uh, as you get closer to the, the race day, then the intensities increase. So as the further away you are from the preparation of race day, the intensities are, are really low. So you progressively work your way as you become fitter and your body can withstand the intensities that we're going to throw at it. Um, so it's not fair to say it's just one it's it's going to be a gradual build um and this is completely different to swimming and riding obviously you need to build your fitness in swimming and riding but not uh, at the same conservative rate that we do as a runner and we spoke about that just before it's to prevent you not getting to the line through injury and the risk is huge and i'm not prepared having experienced injury in my career as a as a triathlete, my calf injuries derailed so many seasons in my career that in the end it was it was the uh, undoing of me. I, I couldn't run anymore. Um, and no matter how fit I got as a swimmer and rider, an injury in the run, you're no longer able to execute your race plan and it is very frustrating. So the risk is too high in my opinion for people to just go all out and train with high intensity without having the fit fitness to back it up is there anything else on running specificity that you want to touch on that people are making a mistake with um yeah i I don't think um you can underestimate the value of endurance um in your running uh i've got countless examples and we've talked about this in other podcasts of uh, athletes or trail runners that we do uh, 100k 100 mile 50k 75k 100 mile that's a long way 160k um and the endurance they've done for those, in tra- for those events in training, they have been able to do PBs across 5K, 10K, 15, 20K without doing very much intensity. And that is so important for our listeners to understand. Um, endurance is really important. It gives you that uh, strength, as we talked about on the bike, to, at the end of an event such as a 10K, the last 2, 3K where it really really counts and you're trying to hold a say you're holding four minute k pace and all of a sudden you drop into 404 405 if you've got the endurance in your legs from running long steady state endurance runs with strength and heels you can go back to holding four minute k pace and possibly running 356 354 and improving a pb Uh, you fall apart um, with with uh, lack of endurance base behind you big endurance base you come home strong Mm. Um, so that, that the back end of a triathlon, that is the key when, when uh, all the other uh, uh, competitors in your age group can be falling apart because they're, they're not able to sustain because of the endurance lacking in their training. Mm. Um, so sure, you need intensity. You need to practice riding and running off the bike, but you need to have that really good endurance base. And that's not something you do, you know, two or three times a week. It's spread out so that, you know, 
on occasions you might do a really big event, um, but all the, all, the, all the rest of the remaining times you're building from January till October, um, building that base up, your endurance run will get progressively longer and longer, allowing your body to slowly, cautiously sustain the prolonged endurance training. And that comes back to a point we've spoken about previously where you need to give yourself enough time to prepare. You need to give yourself enough time to build that base. And 12 weeks out from triathlon, you're not giving yourself the best chance of building up that base. You can do it. And for a triathlon, you might just have to because you've started too late and that's fine. But for the next one. Yeah. And look, don't underestimate the recovery, George. And, you know, recovery from running is so much longer than recovery from riding and swimming because you're, you're holding yourself up. You know, gravity is... Uh, against you and and you just get so tired from running compared to riding and swimming it's a different feeling in swimming it's it's a lot more upper body a lot more cardio because you're breathing in water out of water Um, it's high intensity the bike you can do endurance riding and not really uh, hurt yourself you can be riding for four or five hours at a really easy tempo Um, you you have a fatigue feeling but you don't have the same uh, musculoskeletal pain and that you've experienced yourself mm. after a you know a long run in the hills and yep. you know you, you really feel like the next day your legs are like oh geez I, i've still got that leg leg pain there um so the recovery uh, needs to be um really mindful in the in the actual planning of your program and that's so different to the other two legs of a triathlon so the longer that you give yourself to build that period as you said before, 12 week compared to 16, compared to 25, compared to 50, you just don't have that uh, struggle with recovery because your body is adapting slowly, progressively, inch by inch, week by week, day by day, week by week, month by month, mm-hmm. uh, until you know a, a program that involves you know 120k uh, of running a week compared to what you're doing at 50k in January feels the same because. Your body's adapted to the gradual progression. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important not to just go in a running program uh, for triathlon events that is just based like a normal runner would do, as I would prepare for a marathon runner. I'm preparing him completely different as compared to a triathlete. Yeah, makes sense. So take us through mistake number three, and that is... Yep. Unless you had something else you wanted to talk about. With I just wanted to say um, on equipment... Before we move away from that, mm-hmm. the running shoes. I mean, obviously your your uh, triathlon uh, um, suit has got to be comfortable for running, and that goes without saying. And you need to have practiced running in your suit uh, when it's wet and sweaty, because it's not fresh and yep. dry when yep. you go to run. Yep. Uh, the shoes. The shoes are something that uh, is really important in uh, preventing injury. So. You need to find, and I'm not going to advocate any brand of shoes, it's, uh, it's specific to you, and you need to find, a, if you've had an injury from a particular shoe, it, it might not be the shoe that's doing it, it's obviously there could be a structural problem with your muscles that are causing the injury, but the shoe might contribute to that. So, Although one, one shoe specifically that you love that the yeah, world yes. champion just signed to, and this is not a, a sponsorship thing, we don't have anything to do with Hocker, but Jan no. Fredino just signed with Hocker and you love the Hockers. Yeah, the Hockers seem to be, I call them the old man shoe, but now that <laughs> Jan Fredino is wearing them, yeah. they're no longer the old man for shoe, they're the world champion shoe. But, but they've certainly got more cushion and when I tried to do some running uh, re- comebacks, um, that was a shoe that enabled me to come back 
uh, a lot longer before I eventually injured myself again. Um, so don't do as I do, do as I say. That's what <laughs> I, but definitely a shoe that's going to uh, give you more stability, more cushioning, uh, not stress the Achilles, not stress your calves. Um, you need to pick something that's actually going to really suit you and to get the best advice, like a bike fit, get the best advice from a podiatrist or a running podiatrist. Um, and the second thing I want to say about the shoes is don't buy a brand new pair of shoes for race day. You need to have worn them in. So have two pairs of shoes going. Have your one pair of shoe that you're training in and every uh, now and then, I would say twice a week when you're doing your yeah, uh, well, once a week when you're doing your more intense session, use the newer shoes there. Um, and then another day, but don't do it in the endurance day uh, because that's going to be a new shoe for a long period. You want to do it, the run off the bikes were shorter. Um, so break the shoes in gradually. So come race day, you want to have a pair of shoes that you've been running in for probably 150K, mm-hmm. um, 100 to 150K, and that would be perfectly suited for race day. Perfect. So mistake number three, how do people have a poor race plan with running? Yeah, so it does come back to what have you done in the swim and the bike uh, and that will determine how well you run. Um, You have to have a a race plan based on your running ability. That is definitely important. So we know that uh, from our training, uh, what you're capable of doing uh, fresh as a runner and as a runner off the bike and we've got that data from our athletes so we need to actually make sure that this is the mistake a lot of guys do they don't actually do that testing on themselves just like the ftp test on the bike you need to know what your number is uh, against the speed we need to know what you can run as a fresh runner it's not so important but it is a good comparison because as i've spoken to you before my goal in my career as a triathlete was to get my off the bike uh, 10k run pace as close as I could possibly get to my actual reel and the, the closer I got to it I knew I was in form um, the further away from it, it was I hadn't done enough bike run mm-hmm. uh, sessions so it really made me motivated um, the closer I was getting to my best 10k off the bike there was no hardly any difference mm. um, so that meant that I was at the peak of my form and I was going to run the best I possibly could because it was close to my best anyway um, so Knowing what pace to run at from the start is so important in an Ironman. It's important in a sprint distance as well. But the measurement of your effort across that uh, uh, marathon, you know, of course you're so happy to get off the bike after five or six hours on the bike. Oh, my goodness, it's so good a feeling. And now I'm starting to run. And you've got your family in, in the transition period. And all of a sudden the adrenaline you get through transition, everybody's cheering for you. They might be calling your name out. And your pace is meant to be 4 minute 30 pace for the next 42.2 and you look down and you're doing 3 minute 30 because you're just so happy to be off the bike. That is a mistake. Having a race plan, coming out of transition, not spiking your heart rate so that you're running the first 5k in the red zone. You want to pick a pace that you can sustain for the whole marathon and possibly get better towards the end. And in an Ironman, that's not going to happen. You're not going to improve your pace unless you're Dave Scott or mm-hmm. one of the legends. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. You're going to struggle to hold the pace. So the pace you pick at the start is something you want to sustain forever in that marathon, in that Olympic distance and in that sprint distance. It's the same. In a sprint distance, you're possibly going to be able to pick up the pace better than you can in an Olympic, better than you can in a 703 
and so so it goes on. But you need to pick a pace that's sustainable the whole way. So how do we get to that pace? In training, we would measure that just the week before so that we know what our best number is and we can convert that into a marathon. So each one of our uh, Ironman athletes has their marathon triathlon pace Mm -hmm. that they're going to go into the event with knowing this is my pace and and I know I can sustain it because I've done this countless times in training. And I don't mean run a marathon in training. I mean run the pace that we've trained you at and that as is going to be uh, transferred across because of the, uh, the way we work it out. Perfect. Does that cover everything that you think uh, people make mistakes in with the race plan or is there anything else that people need to know when thinking about their race plan? Yeah, but look, I just want to give an example of, uh, of something that happened to me uh, as, a, as a triathlete and uh, this is something that you can really concentrate on is running your own race and when you get off the bike, everybody else around you seems to be running so much faster than you. And you're looking down going, well, I'm doing 4.30. These, these guys must be really good runners. If they're, they're all running at 4.10, 4.05, boy, there must be some good runners in my age group. But after 10, 15K, those runners are all then running 4.30 and you're still running 4.30. Mm. Those runners then at 35K could possibly be running 5 to 6 minute K pace or walking, but you're still running 4.30 and you feel like you are flying past these athletes. Mm but you're actually staying the same pace. It's just that they've slowed down. And, and the feeling you get when you're running past people and they're yelling at you going, oh, fantastic running, mate, mm. you know, way to go. That is such a, an adrenaline rush mm. and that is an enjoyable way to finish a marathon. And you will run faster at the end. So running your own race is a mistake that people make and I've done it myself. I've followed someone else's pace just because I'm competitive and it's been the detriment of my result. There are days, as we talked about on the bike, in the run, at the end of the day, you are either a newbie trying to complete, an age grouper who's really trying for a podium or a a professional. And you select which one of those you want to be. You want to just compete the event, that's okay, run the same pace. If you're an age grouper trying to, to get for a podium, you need to race the other guys as well. So you've got your set pace and it's okay once the risk uh, gets less and ha- what do I mean by that if it's a marathon the risk is less from 30k to 42 than it is from 10k mm-hmm. so you can't make big bold moves at 10k when you've still got roughly 32k to go you can make better moves at 30 30k when there's t- only a risk of 10k to go of blowing up same in a, in a sprint race mm-hmm. you know at 3k you can go for it run you know four minute k pace instead of 430 knowing that you've only got to hang on for 2K, so the risk is, is less. So you can actually compete against your competition um, when the risk is less, but you still need to listen, like we talked about on the bike, ability and ambition. Don't get them confused with your pace, um, and then you will get a better outcome and possibly win the race because you have listened to what you're able to do and then let the competitiveness take over when the risk is, is less. Perfect. Well, that's a great way to finish. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really does help us and it helps other Ironman triathletes or cyclists find the podcast and learn also how to train smarter and race faster. Again, if you want to get our expert secrets cheat sheet, our PDF cheat sheet guide to help you train smarter and race faster, go to Get Fast Podcast. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. That's it for us. We'll see you in the next episode.